Welcome to this Epic Life Podcast, our platform to create dialogue and deepen community with you. You, the listener, can build on these conversations on the Epic Chat Forum that we host on Facebook. So after the episode, head over there and join in. We'd love to hear your stories of growth. Come and build this community with us. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode of This Epic Life, the podcast. I am your host, Bailey Bennett Andrade, along with the CEO of Epic Education, Dr. Nancy Dome. Our guest, Dr. Talisa Sullivan, shares her passion for education and eliciting the historical systems of oppression and marginalization of different groups and how we can build compassionate dialogue to disrupt these systems. She has a book in the works which speaks to these topics and involves the voice of those who have personally experienced societal oppression. Dr. Sullivan, thank you so much for being here with us today. And to start off, we would like to know how it is you became involved with work focused on building equity. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be with you all today. Um, Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk in detail about some things. And um, I'll start with kind of what got me started with equity work. So I'm I'm just going to say that now, as of today, I'll say that it actually started back when I started teaching, although I wasn't aware at the time. Um, and it wasn't intentional. Um, and now it's become more intentional. Um, and I want to speak of a specific instance that I didn't know about at the time that kind of got me started with this e- equity work, but that really came to the light as of recently, m- within the last maybe couple of months. Um, I remember uh, working in a school district here in the Inland Empire and working with a specific student, and the student was trans- a transgender student, and just kind of having a you know, dialogue and supporting that particular student. And um, then I fast forward to interacting with the student within this last year or so, um, you know, uh, reuniting with the student and talking with the student about what it was that I might have said or did, you know, in order to kind of like just empower that student and to create the equitable opportunities for for that particular student. So um, I was contacted by, uh, an, I, I, at the time, they kind of mentioned that it was a um, reality show. I don't know if they said it was a reality show, but they said it was a documentary is what it was. It was a doc- documentary and asked me if I would be interested in connecting with one of my students that had mentioned my name on multiple occasions. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I thought it was odd because I was like, my students really know how to contact me because I'm on social media. And, you know, and so basically connecting me with the student that didn't know I was going to show up. Um, and the student just kind of asked me as we reunited, do you know what you said? Um, and I was like, I said a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, not really remembering what I said, but, but basically the concept was that although I didn't necessarily agree with, you know, the lifestyle, um, the support that I was able to provide, um, and the love and the care was what really, um, kind of continue, helped the student continue to just live life and be who they wanted to be without having judgment from other people. And so that struck me really hard in my heart because I really said way back then, years ago, I didn't realize that I was saying and doing some things that were, um, you know, empowering students and enabling them to just be who they want to be and be who they are and be who, who they feel as though they should be in life. And so that kind of, I'll say that way back then is when I kind of probably started with the equity work fast forward, now it's intentional. And so um, I finished my, I actually began my dissertation, my um, doctoral journey, um, just wondering what more to do with my alternative students, because 
I was working in an alternative program and that kind of inspired my dissertation focus. And so how do I work with this, these students? What do they need? Where do they come from? How do I get them back if that's where they should go? Um, just understanding that drove me to, you know, wanting to do something in the doctoral program. And, um, and so my journey kind of started to morph into, let me start to do some stuff intentionally to support students who've been historically marginalized. And so, um, so I like to say it started then, and now I'm continuing the work intentionally working for um, a large county office in Riverside. And so just ensuring that that work kind of propels forward. Yeah. So, so Julissa, I, I think I'm going to dive really deep, really fast, if it's okay, okay. with you. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> because something you said really caught caught my 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 ear, and so I want to make sure I heard it correctly. Mm-hmm. And then I want to, and if I did, I want to dive into that because I think it's an important lesson for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. You said that um, that while you can't, um, while you didn't agree with the lifestyle, that you were able to provide the support and, and, and keep the judgment out of it. So I wanted to make sure first that I understood that, that, that you were, you're literally saying that like you, you have an opinion about, you know, this, um, this person's, um, uh, uh, you know, you, you termed it lifestyle. I think I would term it a little differently, but, but, but that you were still able to give support. So I just want to make sure first that I'm understanding that correctly. Yeah. And so, I want to say more, more, well, less than not agreeing with uh-huh. the lifestyle, but more with the choices that, and I guess maybe it's one and the same, but, but really saying that, not that I don't agree that I, it's just not something that I, you know, a position I put myself in. And so, um, you know, with specific beliefs growing up, you know, there's some things that I, I will support as in I'll, you know, you know, I'll show up to events. I'm, I'm, I'm great with showing up to events, but I think what kind of came up was, you know, just, um, I don't even know that at the time that I said I didn't b- support the lifestyle or believe in the lifestyle or any of that kind of stuff. But I think it was more of this is, there's a specific tradition that I've been used to, but that particular thing doesn't matter because yeah. for me to be able to say, it's not that yeah. I get a chance to say, you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't do it, do that. Um, so I think more than anything, I think it was more of just not being accustomed to a specific lifestyle and not mm-hmm. understanding the lifestyle, but that that's not the important piece of being able to support you as a student. Yeah. Well, that, so that's powerful. One, I just wanted to clarify because okay. I, I didn't want to go down the path I, I want to go down without making sure that that was clear. But yeah. what I think is absolutely amazing is that, you know, many of us, um, have different upbringings and different, you know, uh, beliefs and values, and they are not always congruent with those of our of our students. Correct. And um, but what you did, and obviously what you did well, was that you were able to to separate your your upbringing and those kinds of values and beliefs that might and have we seen interfere with other people's ability to work with. Um, with youth who come from um, different, um, you know, just with different. And again, I, I, I'm, I struggle with lifestyle because I don't think lifestyle to me apl- implies a choice. And okay. I don't believe that. And this is just me personally. So I'm trying to not use that word myself. Um, Maybe can we say like identity? Yeah, uh, identity. Okay. Yeah, person's identity. Thank which you. Is perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but that just, you know, that isn't congruent with how... Um, some of us are raised and yet honoring the identity that, that shows up in front of you and being able to empower the student 
to uh, develop and grow and feel safe and secure in, in this environment where um, that's not always the case. And so I really wanted to just stop for a second and acknowledge that because I, I think that if, if there's a lesson that can be learned, this is one of those lessons. We, you know, we took an oath to educate all children. Yes. And we didn't say all children who look like us. We didn't say all children who believe the same beliefs that we mm-hmm. have. You know, we said all children, regardless of their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just wanted to really just, uh, just kind of applaud you, but also bring it to attention because I think that the purpose of these podcasts really is to have, you know, courageous and candid, compassionate dialogue with each other about tough topics. And I think that it's, it's, um, it's just important that we're modeling that, you know, this, this is what it looks like. It, do, it doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, love all the decisions and, and all the things right. that happen, you know, that your kids do, but how do we show up for them uh, regardless of what, what might be in our own, you know, backpack? you know, of stuff. So uh, thank you. And I think that the, the student coming back to you um, is a testament to your ability to separate those things and to uh, be an effective teacher for um, for them. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and thank you for the the, the language, um, because as I'm, as I'm still learning, you know, I, I want to make sure that I don't represent things in, a, in, in an incorrect way. So saying, you know, lifestyle might be a different verbiage, but I think in actuality, it is actually identity, you know, and, um, and, and not that I don't agree with the identity. I think it was more at the time I didn't really understand, Yes, but in my mind, what I was, I guess what I really wanted to portray, and I'm sure I didn't say don't agree at the time, but I wanted to make sure that the student knew that I don't understand necessarily, Mm -hmm. but have to understand completely to be able to support your, your decisions and who you are and what, and what you've done. And so maybe another time we can talk more in detail about kind of how that journey went and what the student told me and how they perceived things. Um, and it really enlightened me a lot. And even though I was on this journey to equity um, before that particular conversation, because this really just happened a couple months ago, um, it, it really reminded me that I have to be intentional because at the time years ago, I don't know that I was very intentional, although mm-hmm. I happenstance, I fell into it. It was like, ooh, I fell into it. This is great. But um, it reminds me to be intentional about supporting students and acknowledging who they are, where they've come from, their cultural um, norms um, and identities so that we can um, help them to really make sense of life and of education and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I I appreciate that. And it is a journey. I mean, you know, the people that we are today is probably very different than the people we were, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. And as long as we're open-minded and open to learning, you know, we will only get better. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks, Bailey. I appreciate that. That I'm, I was digging. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I know sometimes you get a little brain stop. It's like, what is that word? I know it's right there. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I actually really, um, I can, identify with a similar journey um to Lisa because um I've always like I was pretty much raised in a household where my mom is very big on equity you know she worked with children in special ed my whole life so I I really saw that growing up but then my own experiences in college was I actually had a professor who was transgender who she was teaching us um a gender studies class and that 
blew my mind, just put everything in a total different perspective. And I think because her identity was so misunderstood right now, the transgender community is really under a lot of scrutiny because there's this movement to come out and to really be yourself as far as you know, why, why are we holding back anymore? That's not where we are in history. But yet you still have all this, these transphobic issues coming up mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that is just one of those identities that really, as far as equity goes, it's it really gets right to you because you realize mm-hmm. like these people are dealing with something on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. That's a struggle, yeah. something that they don't have a say in feeling the way they do or loving who they are or feeling their body is something different than it is and mm-hmm. who are we to assault that right because right. we don't understand yeah 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 thank you yes thank you. yeah so amazing um so now i want to turn to your book talisa um okay. so i know that you gave a little bit of a description beforehand about how you're looking into different identities and the historical perspective. And um, I'd love it if you could just go over that. Okay. So um, there are, and I want to start with saying there are so many different groups of individuals that are, um, that have been marginalized throughout history. And so I don't want to paint the picture that any one group is more marginalized or has most better or worse or any of that. But what I do want to do is capture um, in my book, we'll be capturing the historical marginalization of student groups that have been um, intergenerationally marginalized. So almost as if it was an inheritance. Like I inherited this. This is who I am. This is how I've been treated. And and that's one of the reasons why I originally chose three student groups, and then I've added a fourth that I'm considering doing some research. So the three student groups that I've cho- chosen, um, and, and it turns into societal groups, are African Americans, Latinx students and students with learning disabilities. And then the, the fourth group that I'm considering the, doing the research on is going to be our indigenous, our Native American groups. And so with those four groups, it's not that they, they're they more marginalized necessarily than you know even the, the transgender group or any of the other groups that we would see in our society. I'm just focusing on those groups because we have to start somewhere. And this is where I'm choosing to start. And eventually, maybe one day down the future, I'll choose, um, I'll, I'll go down a different road and choose some other groups to kind of put the focus on. But, um, but basically, what started this was, um, so I completed my dissertation um, and my, my doctorate in 2015. And I was in an urban leadership um, uh, program at Claremont Graduate University. And so with that, I learned a lot about different groups, you know, just, just learning um, just learning behind it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of historical things. Um, but in that same year, 2015, I had an opportunity to go to um, a, go on a tour, an educational tour, and it's called Footsteps to Freedom. Mm. And so I went on this Footsteps to Freedom tour, and it's also known as the Underground Railroad Tour. Mm-hmm. Story about that too, but that's different. But um, <laughs> So uh, it's kind of, well, let me just say that um, when I first went, and that was 2015, I was talking to my sister and she told me, don't tell nobody else this. But I said, I was looking for the railroad. <laughs> she, said, she, says, she did tell me. She said, don't tell nobody else. That. I was like, okay. So I just busted myself out that I was really looking for a railroad. Oh my gosh. Wait, I so, love that. I love that. <laughs> and you're not alone. I'm sure. I am sure. <laughs> but anyway, but I was looking for it. But yeah. So anyway, so, uh, so basically on this tour, I learned so much. It was a seven day tour and we, 
you know, we started out and we went and we traveled the footsteps. It's called Footsteps of Freedom because we traveled the footsteps of the enslaved um, African Americans that were um, here in the United States and throughout Canada um, and just going to different um, different places to kind of see what road they traveled. And we had a historian that actually traveled with us that gave us the history behind a lot of this, um, a lot of the enslavement and the, uh, the footsteps of freedom, I'll say. And so that kind of started my my wheels turning about like the historical um, marginalization of groups of individual students or not just students, but people in general, but because I'm in education and I want our educational system to, to change. And so that whatever we do in education is going to reflect our society. So I'm looking at, you know, looking at those historical positionings of those student groups so that we can do more than just um, disrupt, you know, looking to move past talking about, what we're going to do, looking past the um, LCAP plans that we have and, and, and putting those plans that we have in action. A lot of times in education, sometimes we're just checking the box and I'm looking to push people to do more than just check the box um, because someone said you have to you know, do something different. So we check a box, but then not much changes. Mm-hmm. We've been really working towards closing what we call gaps. And I'm looking at changing that terminology so that we can look at it to see that it's more than just a gap. You know, um, It is huger than that. Um, or bigger than that. So looking at trying to um, destroy what we look at as that opening between student groups and to, to ensure that access and opportunity are, are, are given to all of our students and not just, you know, the ones that historically have been, uh, that weren't the ones that the system was designed for. I'll say because there's a specific group that the educational system was designed for. And I don't really know the whole quote, um, uh, the whole quote, so I probably won't go into that, but um, there's some, you know, the way the system was designed wasn't designed for those of us that have been historically marginalized. And so, right. And, and I, I, w- I will actually just say it, you know, it's designed for white folks. Yeah. And, and, um, and we have to, we have to say it because, and, and where it has served people of color and low income, you know, yes. has really been to create um, workers, not yeah. leaders, but workers. Um, and so that's where the intersectionality between white um, students and students of color will come into play is right. because if you're not affluent, then you're also in that, in that boat. So it's not just right. racial, it's also social economic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that us, you know, really saying that out loud um, is important because when we when we speak around it, I think people um, it's too easy to fill in the blanks and and not actually get to the heart of the problem. Right. Yeah. And thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that, because sometimes I'm still working towards you know um, one of the things that I've been working on because I'm I'm typically an outspoken person, but in my career I've, I've experienced a lot of marginalization as well, and so in doing that, I really want to get the work done. So sometimes with being marginalized myself, I'm like, okay, if I want to get this work done, sometimes I got to be quiet. So I'm really working on not being quiet when I really need to be saying what is going to do more than just disrupt that system. So I'm looking at not margin, not minimizing and maximizing the opportunity, the space and the time and really to call it what it is so that people um, are not, I'm not trying to shame people or make people feel absolutely in anything of that, but really just to kind of put the information out there so that people understand that those of us that have been marginalized we, we didn't realize it in the first place that the system wasn't designed for us. But now being educated, I understand that the system was designed for the white person. And um, so thank you for helping me bust it out like that, because I do want to say that we have to do some things different 
Um, we have to bring in our students' culture. We have to bring in, you know, their norms. And when we talk about culture, if we go back to the conversation we were having earlier, when we speak about um, culture, it's not just going to be ethnicity. It's going to be our students' culture in general. That could be the transgender culture. That could be, you know, um, that could be our students who are uh, our generational um, culture, our students that are younger. We have to make sure that we are engaging our students and meeting them where they are so that we can bring them to where they need to be. And so um, that the, you're right. We have to really put it out there so that people hear the the reality is it wasn't designed for people of color. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I just wrote a little blog on this, but I was watching a video by Norman Kuntz, who does a lot of work around disability. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the quotes he says is that we have to relocate the problem. And okay. he uses the example of the civil rights movement saying mm-hmm. that we didn't really get to see a big shift in in the movement until we relocated the problem from being a black problem to being a white supremacist problem. Mm-hmm. And when we identified that the problem laid with the white supremacy, mm-hmm. then we were able to to focus on that and do something about it. And I think so much of our work is really around how do we relocate the problem when we look at working with students with disabilities, when we look at sexual orientation, we always make it the problem or African-Americans or indigenous people. It's our problem. And mm-hmm. if we relocate the problem to say, you know, we are all normal um, members of society. We all, be- we all are here. We all belong mm-hmm. here. And if that is the case, then society has the problem, which means that it is too narrowly defined because it's not inclusive of all of us. Right. Right. And so really about shifting, shifting the, the emphasis of it being um, our problem to being a societal problem that needs to be resolved with the people in society is kind of the way that I've been thinking about it, because I think it really shifts the responsibility to becomes all of our responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, um, I think that's a great way to put it, Nancy, is that, um, and that you have that that um, evidence from that video that you watched that it it is a whole society's problem. It's not the group who is offended at that moment. Right. And I think I even talked in a podcast before with Kelly um, because both of us identify as white and we are very deep rooted and passionate about doing work around equity. But I think we kind of talked about how sometimes it is a little bit intimidating because you start, you start to maybe carry that shame or that guilt, or you feel like, Oh gosh, you know, like I'm part of the problem. Right. And I think a lot of people can identify with that when they are that the privileged race. Right. Um, But it's about realizing that, yeah, there's a problem. There's also a lot of things that we can do about it and just do your part in the moment and you're not going to be perfect. No one's perfect. Yeah, It's a journey that you're going to go on. I know even I think about it all the time, trying to be equitable and, and do the right thing and, and make a safe environment for everybody. I know I fail at that every once in a while and I have people to pick me up and talk to me about it. Yeah, And I think everybody just needs to be able and open to being held accountable. Yeah. And um, just carry that little bit of, of um, humility to yeah. a degree. Like just realize that, yeah, this this is where we are all at and this is where we're going, right? Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. Think, I think, yeah. Ahead, and 
No, no, sorry to, um, I think really reinforcing that it's not a, it's not a blame or shame game. Yes. I mean, that's not the goal because we go nowhere with that. It's about, you know, being open to hearing a different perspective that will be uncomfortable and how do we, you know, really start to embrace and, and get used to this notion that being in discomfort is actually um, the zone where we will change quicker and we will have more, um, um, we will have greater impact uh, because we will be moved to get out of that discomfort. But if we move to get out of that discomfort too fast without really investigating how to shift the circumstances rather than being in denial to get out of the discomfort, which are the, you know, which is the difference. And so, you know, being in that place of discomfort and, and normalizing that feeling and saying, okay, um, that's uncomfortable for me, but I, I'm going to be open and remain open so that I can maybe um, learn something and see how that, how that fits with me instead of feeling like, well, I feel bad and that's not me, or I was poor or all the narrative that comes out to yeah. defend um, what somebody is saying or to, to, to basically disenfranchise whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the person who is saying it. So, um, or even something. equalize it or even equalize it saying, well, I was poor. I understand you're, you're African-American and you endured some enslavement, but I was poor. And so we, we can't, we have to make sure that we're not, um, so equalizing those, yeah. those, those two things. So they're different. Um, and I was going to say to what you said, Bailey, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was going to say, um, you said doing what you can, you know? Um, yeah. So one of the things with, it's not meant to shame. It's not meant to put place blame, but it's meant to really help un- individuals become aware of what took place in society in our, and historically what took place and what's caused the um, marginalization of specific groups in the first place. But as a person of privilege, what you do in the moment matters. And so I, what I love is I have a few colleagues that are really trying to get into that moment. And what I love is when they say, hey, I had an opportunity to really disrupt some stuff and I didn't, but I want to. And the reason I like that is because it's, it, even though it didn't happen, your mindset has changed and you understand that you have to be able to speak up. You, yeah. Within your privilege, you have to be able to speak up and you have to be able to help disrupt that. And and the moment that you can't shouldn't be a shameful moment or a, the, the moment that you say I, I was I was right there and I didn't. We just need to be able to help individuals become equipped with being able to disrupt yeah. or to um, be an ally to be and work, do the work side by side. And so that's kind of what another one of my missions, one of the reasons why I place, I put judgment aside and I, I get to a moment where I'm, you know, able to hear people and understand what they're saying rather than place judgment or condemn people for how they might feel or whatever the case may be, allowing for everything that comes at my way to become a teachable moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's seemingly inappropriate that someone might say or do. I use that as a teachable moment so that I don't, put someone that's willing to come and be open and transparent and vulnerable in a situation to where they feel um, ostracized because of my response. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the work, part of the equity work that I love is that I can just open up and say, let's talk about that. Yeah. Feel any type of way, like, like someone's trying to like belittle me or put me down because I'm in a moment in a space where I'm ready for us to be able to work together so that we can understand what's happening with our students so that we can do more than just disrupt. That yeah. Get into that place of discomfort um, that 
Nancy is talking about and, and really work at just obliterating these systems of oppression and marginalization. Yeah. Yeah. The conversation, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how we, how we go back, but we have to, to this time and place where we can actually disagree with each other and still love each other and still communicate and, um, you know, without the judgment and just shutting people off. So we got to figure that out, but one step at a time. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, and especially where we are as far as technology, social media, all of that, we're seeing it be perpetuated to a mm-hmm. maximum degree right now, more than it really ever has before, of people being very openly belligerent towards each other, um, leading a lot of conversations with hateful words or, um, you know, just almost disagreeing just to disagree about things and, and polarizing. And um, yeah, so that's, that is really why, you know, the work you do to Lisa and, and Epic and all the other guests that we've interviewed, I think every one of the people to a degree has, has brought in that idea of the compassionate dialogue and, and the ability to communicate with each other mm-hmm. in a way that that's going to be progressive and not shut people down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, super important. And to go with that, I know that you are actually using um, some of the voice of these marginalized groups in your book. Mm-hmm. And I'd love if you could just talk about what is going to be your method in the interviews, maybe if you've conducted some of the interviews already and how how you're going to integrate those. So so basically the method that I'm going to reach out, actually I have a Google form that um, has gone out a couple of times and I've gotten a few responses back, but I really want to put my my Google form out to get more, um, more individuals from all different groups, um, all different, not just students, but mostly like adults that have experienced or that has been on the opposite side of marginalizing, you know, like, like for instance, not to put people out there, but we need to hear the stories of those of us that have marginalized our student groups. And I'll include myself in on that because I'm not exempt from marginalizing students just because I've been on the, on the opposite end of being marginalized. Mm -hmm. So, um, so basically I'll put, put out the, I'm going to do that again too, to put out the Google form so that people can say they're interested. And, um, basically it'll be what, um, ethnicity, their ethnicity, um, also, um, just kind of if they're interested in being interviewed, but to talk just to get that information first. And then once I start to conduct interviews, cause I have not started to conduct interviews yet, then I'll use the voices from those individuals to actually, um, help out in the chapter to kind of bringing to the light what forms of marginalization has happened, what does it look like, how does it feel, how does it translate, and then also on the opposite end for anyone who is willing to be interviewed about about being on the opposite end of marginalization, which is the marginalizer, you know, uh, when did you realize and how did you proceed and what will you do moving forward? So things like that, just to kind of get those stories in there, because what I've noticed about writing books, it can't just be historical. So the way my book starts off, it does give a lot of historical positioning, but also within that has to be some stories from the field so that people are really captured by, um, you know, what has taken place so that we can not repeat the, that cycle in history. Um, the other thing is, is um, looking at parents as well. You know, a, one of the sections or chapters of the book will be on the mar- parents, marginalized parents, their position in marginalizing their students. And I use my own example. Um, 
that growing up, I was marginalized by my parents, you know, like I know, I know it wasn't their intent, but one of the things I remember specifically just recently within the last maybe three or four years was I was doing a speaking engagement and, um, you know, my family, they, they support everything. So they're always everywhere. So I, I think I had my mom, my dad, my sister, my daughter was there. We were all there. And as I'm speaking, you know, my mom leans over and I can hear her. She leans over. She says, I didn't know this one was smart. You know, stuff like wow. that. <laughs> Something that was really common in our, in our family. Like I wasn't the smart one, you know, and, but, but look at me now. And I don't say that to say, look at me now. I say that to say, if we do that and we have students that will um, embrace that from their own parents or their own family, then what we might end up with is a student who doesn't move farther because they don't believe they can because no one did. So, um, so even though it wasn't intentional, I have an amazing family. They're very supportive. It wasn't something that was intentional. Sometimes there's some things that we learn in our upbringing that we, tr- that we transfer onto our, our kids and because of that, our students stay marginalized. So there's, a, there's educators, there's a section in there on educators' participation in marginalization. So there's so much that I'm putting in there so that we can see what that looks like, what that sounds like, and how to disrupt that. Yeah. You know, you, you said something um, to, uh, I think we all have stories like that about our parents. Yeah. Uh, but you said, you, you know, on both sides, you know, of being the being having been marginalized and being the marginalizer, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's right, but, but um, I think that we are both. I think yes, that we yeah. are all both. And, yes. um, and we, what we have to do is uh, recognize that we have to separate the stigma of realizing, like, I know that I have unintentionally caused harm to yes. students I taught. And that was a huge acknowledgement for me. Right. But what it did was it let me know, how not to do it again. Yes. And it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean that I was, you know, a bad teacher. Am I a better teacher now? Well, I sure hope so after 20 some odd years. But um, this idea that somehow we're bad people because we've, we've, we've hurt someone or we've done it. And what I'm going to say is that we're human. We're human, having a human experience. We're going to do some things really well. We're going to fail sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we have to give ourselves the latitude to be human and make mistakes and then grow from them. But if we can't ever acknowledge that a mistake has been made or that we didn't do something to the best of our of our ability at that time, then we can never repair it. And so um, I, I just wanted to highlight that piece because I think it's important to recognize that we are both. We, right. we, we hurt people and, and we, we support people. And what we're, our goal is really to spend more time supporting and lifting right. up than hurting, but we're going to hurt people. And so how do we repair it when we do? Right. And how do we learn from that? And so yeah. reasons yeah. why I use myself a lot as an example, because a lot of times, um, you know, we don't want people to assume that we're placing the blame. I'm saying, oh, parents have a part in marginalization. Educators have a part in marginalization. You know, white people have a part in marginalization. I want to be able to let people know that we all have a part in marginalization. Yeah. We do as a result. Yeah. How do you, how do you, um, how do you, you know, grow from the experience? How do you listen to, you know, other individuals that come and say, Hey, when you said this, it made me feel, or I interpreted that this, how do we grow from that? How do we yeah. learn? And how do we not duplicate that? How do we do everything that we do intentionally? Like, like, when we want to get to a point where we are supporting students from an equity lens, from an equity perspective, how do we do that on purpose? How do we also like, just like destroy marginalized marginalization on purpose? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. 
in some of the historical perspectives we've talked about too, I, I think that's really powerful too, to get the, the marginalized and the marginalizers, as we were saying, mm. uh, because sometimes when you do something that may be marginalizing a group, I think what happens is, um, especially as an educator who's, you're in a position of power when you're educating others. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when you're in a position of power, you can sometimes kind of get cut off from maybe how you come off to someone else, or um, maybe your ego gets involved in not believing that you're the problem, that um, looking at the student's behavior or, um, you know, whatever, whatever you want to use to try to excuse it. Sometimes we can fall into that rather than really taking a step back and realizing like, yeah, I could have done that better. And, and you have, that's really the first step to doing better. And that historical piece is when you realize that these groups have been marginalized historically, a lot of the times those higher suspension rates you see, or those lower test scores that you see, those have been historically put in place because of that students position in society yes and so how and you can absolutely be a part of changing that narrative you just have to then factor that into your workplace and realize like that this is what I'm working with it's not the isolated behavior of the students not doing well it's there's a whole bigger piece that's right really ruminating beneath Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've actually talked about that pretty extensively on the podcast. Um, I, I think that is a big shift in research right now where people are really looking into the historical side of it to try to describe what is going on right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so as we come to the end of this podcast, um, I would love it if you could just give us your call to action when it comes to building equity and just in education. Like, where would you like to see us moving forward in the next five to 10 years? Man, like starting now, I, I would love to see us to stop talking about disrupting the system and to actually start moving towards eliminating the barriers um, to the success of our most marginalized student groups. Uh, we just got to stop checking off that equity box and start mm-hmm. mindsets of the adults who work with our students. Um, you know, so we can have as many equity plans put into place that satisfy an LCAP goal or whatever other goals we have. But if we want our, if we want um, to make some real change, we have to change the mindsets of those individuals that you know are really working with our students, so that they can see that uh, as we spoke about the suspension rates and things like that, that we look at students with higher offenses of discipline you know, changing the mindset of those adults to see that those, there's a reason for that, you know, and not that we approve of it, but what can we do as a result of that, of that behavior, what we're considering as bad behavior, which may be another type, something else that's going on with those students. And how do we look at ourselves and say, okay, I'm not used to this particular type of behavior. Let me learn about why this student might be responding to me in this way. Um, and, and even with the test, test scores, as you mentioned, um, a lot of our mar- most marginalized students underperform. So take, changing that mindset to stop saying, well, the students can't, so I'm just going to move forward because this student can't do it, you know, and changing the mindset to saying, what supports do I have to put into place in order to help this student meet the criteria um, that's being requested of them in a system that wasn't specifically designed for them in the first place? 
So basically, you know, we just want to make sure that we change what's been going on for centuries um, and start to open up the access and the opportunities for those students that um, those students who haven't haven't been favored in our society for higher paying jobs, um, being engineers, lawyers, doctors, you know, moving that moving them forward so that they are uh, equipped with what's necessary to to fill those fill those place those uh, spaces in our societal um, in our society. Yeah, what I'm thinking. Yeah, you know, and I I want to if if with your permission, just expand that thought that call a little Absolutely. further. Oh yeah, to say that um, you know, reinforcing that it is not a check like equity is not a checklist. It is a journey, right? It is. It is ongoing. We, it is something that we will always be doing. And when we understand that, as opposed to thinking that um, I'm going to do this equity plan for three years and then we're going to fix all the problems right. and we're going to go back to business, that's part of why the equity work fails in the first place. It really is a journey and you can have a three-year plan. And then in that third year, you need to be thinking about your next three-year plan based on what you learned, based on what worked based on what didn't work. Um, but it is not something that you're, it's, it's going to be done and you don't have to think about it again. It is the way we do business, but, but education is equity work. And, and when we understand that we will maybe start moving in that direction that you're calling for. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. What a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Talisa, we're looking forward to your book and, yes. um, Yes. So uh, once that comes out and you have a title for it, we'll have you hop back on here and we'll talk about what the finished product looks like. Yeah. Okay. I would love that. I will definitely hold on to you. Yeah. You, and you know, I definitely would love to maybe another time uh, go back and explore a little deeper that story of your student who reached out because I think, um, you know, it, it wasn't the focus for today, but I think really looking into um, sexual orientation and yes. the impact on um, student experiences in mm-hmm. schools and, you know, coming from a personal perspective would be super powerful. So we'd love to, to talk to you again. I'd love to do that too, because it's a real powerful story and the student really resonates. The story that the student tells really resonates with me, mostly because the student experienced suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. and just, just what really hit me and made me more emotional with that particular situation is the fact that what was said was that I came up every time that thought process came and I got to do something that really hit me hard. So to share, I'd love to share that uh, more in detail. Well, thank you. We'll definitely follow up on that. We'd love to have that conversation. I appreciate you all so much, Nancy, a pleasure meeting you Yeah, for setting it all up. I'm super excited. Yeah. Thank you. Visit www.epiceducation.com for resources that will help you to understand and navigate the ever-changing world of diversity equity, and inclusion. We are a company that trains and transforms with innovative in-person and online equity workshops that support school districts and leaders to build capacity to carry on this work internally. Now go out and have an epic day.